1 and verse 8. We'll continue in our discourse. Um, activating success codes. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. I want us to read it together. It's on the screen. So let's read together once to go. This book of the law shall not depart. That's not everybody. Let's read again. Are we ready? Can you clear your throat? In case there's one boon there from last night's dinner. <laughs> Are we ready? So let's go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make your way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good what? Success. And like we already emphasized, there is, if there is good success... It simply means there is bad success. So bad success is the one that takes away your joy, takes away, you know, your peace, destroys your family, you know. But you have the material goods, you have the financial goods, but there is no peace. But the Bible is saying here that God can give good success. And so he's also inferring that if God can give you good success, the devil can also give you success. I never get that wrong. The devil can bless, the devil can prosper people. But it's about the end, you know, uh, the end of the matter is what is most important. Because when the devil blesses or when he makes people succeed, it's always an exchange. He's going to take something from you. But when God blesses, the Bible says that there will be no sorrow attached to it. So that also infers that when the devil blesses, sorrow will be attached to it. It might take a while, but it always ends up in sorrow. I pray for you that this month and all through the remaining days of this year, you will experience good success in the name of Jesus. Any form of sorrow will be far from you. I emphasize that the midweek recharge on Wednesday, for those of us that were there, you remember that we said in life, you're either living life in four dimensions. Number one, you're either surviving. Number two, you're either struggling. Number three, you're either succeeding. Or number four, you're either significant. So many people live their lives struggling and surviving. And God does not want his people to just live from hand to mouth. God doesn't want you and I to live a life of survival. The barest minimum for the believer, right, is to succeed. And if we go on further to read Deuteronomy 28, which is our second text for this series, verse 13. It says, the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. That's significance. It simply means that for the believer, the barest minimum God wants you to experience on the earth is success. In 3 John and verse 2, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So he talks about the three dimensions of prosperity. He's talking about the prosperity of the spirit, the prosperity of the soul, and the prosperity of the body. Because God's form of success is always holistic. If it is not holistic, it is not good success. That is, God does not just want you and I to be blessed materially and financially. He wants us to have the health to enjoy it. What many people do is they live their lives pursuing money. At the end of their life, they now use that money to pursue their health. That's not God's plan for you and I. That's not God's plan. That's why he says that you and I, we are supposed to live a full life. To live long, to live strong, and to live a full life. You see, but if you don't experience God's kind of success, it is impossible to live long, to live strong, and to live a full life. 
And that's why we need to understand God's own way of blessing his people. So you and I need to realize that we are not supposed to be struggling. Neither are we supposed to be surviving. It has almost become a thing people wear today like a badge of honor. When they say, you know, I'm hustling. Hustling is a curse. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't care the multinational trying to propagate and say you should fool your hustle. The Bible makes us to understand that man did not have to hustle until man fell. Hustling is a curse. I want you to tell your neighbor, say neighbor, stop hustling. You are not under a curse. You see, hustling is a curse. It's just a contemporary way of saying you are struggling. It's just a revamped way. You may not agree. If you want to be hustling, keep on hustling. But for those that God has sent me to, and you know God has sent me to you, you better listen to what I'm about to say. I remember years ago, I think this should be about six, seven years ago, I was having a discourse with a couple of guys. Every one of us, we seem to be the same back then. We all at the same, seemingly at the same level. And I told them certain things. I said, if you don't listen to what I'm saying now, you will pay for it. It's only a matter of time. I said, the gap is going to be very wide and it will be very obvious. You see, when people are growing, when things are changing, it does not start immediately on the outside. It always starts on the inside. So oftentimes it seems as if there is no difference. There is no difference between those who are growing and those who are not growing. But it's only a matter of time. You see, time is a revealer of secrets. Time is a revealer of things. Time is what separates the authentic from the cosmetic. Am I making sense this morning? Time always reveals things. If you're patient enough, you will see it. And I also like to encourage us this morning, the things we're sharing throughout this series, they may sound simple, but please pay attention to it. It's going to determine who you will become and where you will be five, ten years and much more. Twenty years from now, it's going to determine it. I we said there are certain codes that as a believer, you and I must consistently activate. We said the reason most people don't succeed, number one, is because they underestimate the price of success. So if we're not at the midweek recharge on Wednesday, please write this down. It will help you. Most people don't succeed and may never succeed because they underestimate the price of success. Number two is that they overestimate their capacity to succeed. Some people just assume, what is it? Is it just to do this? Nah, I can do it. <laughs> they overestimate their capacity. Many underestimate what is required, that is the price. Number two, many of some overestimate their capacity to succeed. Number three, reason why many people don't succeed, whether in life, in the marketplace, in the kingdom, as an individual, in the works of their hand, is that they are not willing to do what it takes to succeed. The truth is, some people know what they need to do, but they are not just willing. They are this so much. <laughs> Haven't you had people say that? It's not supposed to be this hard now. If it were simple, everybody would be successful. If it were easy, everybody will be at the top. It's not that there is not enough room at the top for everyone to be there. It's that everyone is not willing to pay the price. Everyone is not willing to do what it takes. That's why some people will prefer to take the illegal route. Because it seems faster. They are not willing to go through the process of time. They are not willing to go through, you know, the process that patience demands. So they will rather do something now that can get results now. And that's why society has created a place for people like that. It's called the prison. People who don't respect patience and the laws of the earth. That's where they send them to. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Will you not go there in Jesus' name? You will not go there in Jesus' name. Whether by mistake or by the works of your hand, you will not go there in Jesus' name. You know, there are people in prison that they did not make anything. They did not do anything. 
But by error, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they just carried them. Maybe even by their looks. So this one looks like a thief. <laughs> they just carry you. Praise the Lord. You will not be carried to the wrong place. That prayer sounds humorous, but it's a serious prayer. There are people who have been in prison for the last 15 years. Their family does not know where they are. They think they are dead. Because they did not even have the opportunity to call them to say, they carried me. You will not be carried to the wrong place. You will be late for tragedy. In the name of Jesus. People don't succeed. Number four, because they don't have the emotional and mental strength to succeed. Because success requires strength. Through last month, we spoke about developing strength. You would do well to listen to those messages. And number five reason people don't succeed is because they are too ignorant and naive to succeed. Too ignorant and naive to succeed. Because it takes knowledge to prosper. It takes knowledge to succeed. That's why in OCR 4 and verse 6, the Bible says my people are destroyed because they lack knowledge. Because they lack knowledge. You will live in an environment where people have no value for knowledge. No value. No value, no value whatsoever. That's why the average person will see a book and say, ah, it's too expensive. Someone has succeeded all their life. They write a book. They say it's 20,000. You say it's too expensive. Leave the next 30 years of your life trying to figure out what you have learned in one week. It's just value system. It's just, that's why I, I think it's Isaiah 5, 13 there about. I'm not sure. He says, my people have gone into captivity because they lack no, no. Not because the devil is at work. But because they lack knowledge. They just don't have value for it. Now, what is it? People like to wing things. They like to, okay, so I'm correct. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. It says, and their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. And of course, you know the thirst is talking about there is not thirst, physical thirst as in water. So you must succeed because without success, we say you have no influence and you have no voice. You also need to succeed as a child of God because God wants you to enjoy life, not struggle through life. Number three, for the expansion and establishment of God's kingdom on the earth. Number four, so you will not be a liability to humanity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, you are either a success or you are a liability. Look at your neighbor say, don't be a liability. Ah, Many people don't like to hear the truth, but this is a house of truth. You know that already. The Bible says that the church of God shall be the ground and the pillar of truth. If you are not doing well, very soon you will be a concern. You are either a prayer point or a prayer partner. Which one are you? Many people are prayer points. And let me tell you, for those of us that are single, like somebody rightly said, you will either marry a prayer partner or marry a prayer point. So choose well. If there's a single around, you say choose well. Choose well. <laughs> if the person has chosen, ask the person, I hope you chose a prayer partner. <laughs> oh dear. So what is success? So that we can have a full understanding of what we're talking about. Number one, success is the accomplishment of worthwhile goals. Number two, success is living in the fullness of God's redemptive plan for your life. It is living in the fullness of God's redemptive plan for your life. Number three, this is the one I've not mentioned. It is making consistent and satisfactory progress. It is making consistent and satisfactory progress. It simply means in every season of your life, you are making progress. You may not experience a boom as it were, but in your own life, if you analyze your life, you can see traces that have made progress. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not still sharing the testimony of last year. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
God has done something. See, this is the third month of the year. If something new has not happened in your life, go into the place of prayer and fast. Because something new should be happening every month, according to Revelation 22 and verse 22. And verse 2. Something new. Something new. It may be a new relationship. It may be a new idea. I hear what I'm saying. A new job, a new client. Whatever. But there must be progress on a consistent basis. On a consistent basis. On a consistent basis. I pray for you that in this year, you will express progress in Jesus name. Nothing will hold you down. Nothing will hold you back. Whatever it is that may have kept you on the same spot, I pray for you that today, those things lose their grip over you. If it is a relationship, if it's a diabolical force, I decree and declare, this morning is your day of freedom. In the name of Jesus. Whatever may have kept others on the same spot in your family, among your friends, in your space, I decree and declare, those forces, they have lost their grip over you. In the name of Jesus, you will move forward. You will advance. You will make progress. In the name of Jesus, you will make progress in such a dimension that the eyes of men will begin to see it. You will not need to be the one telling people. Men will see your life and know you have advanced. In the name of Jesus, your testimony will be self-announcing. Your testimonies 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 will be self-announcing. For the sixth time, your testimonies will be self-announcing. For the seventh time, your testimonies will be self-announcing. God will do for you before the end of this quarter. That which will share itself. You know, there are things you need to tell people God has done for you. There are things that you don't need to tell people. Men will see it for themselves. I decree and I declare that before the end of this quarter, God will do for you testimonies that will share themselves. In the name of Jesus. As God told us that in this house, congratulations will be repetitive this year. I said, let your congratulations start. If it has started, let it continue. Nothing will stop it. Nothing will stop your joy. Nothing will stop your celebration. In the name of Jesus, nothing will hinder your testimonies. Let it begin. Let it continue. Let it multiply. Let it be amplified. In the name of Jesus, where you have failed, begin to succeed. Where you have struggled, begin to succeed. Let help arise for you. Let helpers arise for you. You will know what to do. This week you will get it right. This week you will get it right. Whatever it is you are attempting to do, this week you will get it right. Whatever you have tried to do and failed at it, this week you will get it right. In the name of Jesus. If you believe it, say very big amen. May please be seated. So we said the first code of success we need to activate is the growth code. The growth code. Nobody succeeds beyond their level of growth. Nobody does. Nobody does. The higher you want to rise, the more you must grow. And I'm not talking about growing in age. Because it is one thing to grow old. It's another thing to grow up. Many are growing old, but they are not growing up. They are adults, but they are children in their thinking. Children in their reaction to the circumstances of life. The difference between an adult and a child is a change in perspective. A change in understanding. What seems like a mountain to a child is a molehill to an adult. Because of growth. 
And so if you're going to succeed, Galatians 4 and verse 1, the Bible says that the heir, as long as he's a child, it says he's not different from his slave. Even though he's the Lord of everything, the Bible says that he is subject to teachers until the time appointed by the Father. What that simply means is that you are not the one that will say, I've grown. It is God that knows if you are growing. Because if you ask everybody, are you growing? Oh, of course I am growing. No, 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 no. The Bible says, until the time appointed by the Father. So it simply means there are certain things that you and I will pray for and God will check your growth level and say, ah, you are not qualified. Psalms 84 and verse 11, the Bible says, no good thing will live withhold from them that walk uprightly. So if he's withholding it, it means you are not yet mature for it. The Lord is a son and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will live withhold from them that walk uprightly. If you are walking uprightly and certain things are being withheld, it is because you have not grown to the place of maturity where you cannot do those things. You see, it is the devil that does not care about your growth level. You want something, he gives it to you. Because he knows it will be self-destructive. And that's his goal. John 10 and verse 10, the Bible says the thief comes to kill, to steal and to destroy. He says, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The devil does not care about your growth. You want it, you get it. But with God, it checks your growth level. Are you ready for it? Can you undo it yet? That's why sometimes, you see in scriptures, God will make a promise to people. And sometimes that promise will not be a reality until 13 years later, 17 years later, 40 years later. Moses came to the realization he was supposed to be the deliverer of a nation at the age of 40. But that vision did not become a reality until he was 80. Because God had to take him to 40 years of maturity. And you see, it is not God that determines your pace of growth. You are the one that determines it. Wonder. So it might take some people. That's why sometimes you see someone give their life to Christ. Within a year, there's a rapid growth. Rapid growth. But some people have been born again in the last 20 years. When you see the approach to things, you are still concerned. Shele is what saved by. Yeah, what is this one even saved? The way they talk, the way they interpret situations, the music they listen to, the videos they post online, you are concerned. And this one needs to be, even if the person claims to be saved, which we cannot question, because it's God who knows who is saved. In your mind, you know they need to be resaved. <laughs> because there is no growth. There is no growth. So if you are saved and people are wondering if you are saved, it's because you are not growing. Because growth demands that you leave certain things behind. The question I want to ask you is, where were the shoes you wore at the age of five? See, there are things you don't need to pray against. That God... I don't want to wear this shoe. I don't want to wear this shoe. Just outgrow it. Children don't need to pray to their parents. Daddy, change my shoe. Or change my clothes. What do they do? They grow. And their parents by themselves will see, ah, this trouser is now looking like a bleak trouser. We need to change it. <laughs> the child doesn't need to go on a special retreat that, God, touch mommy's heart. Touch mommy's heart. Touch daddy's heart. Let daddy remember to change my trouser. The child just grows. In the same way, you say, when sometimes I listen to the prayer point of the average Nigerian Christian, it's as if God is an irresponsible father. Because the Bible says he's our father. And no human being can be more responsible than God. See, God cares about you more than you can ever care about yourself in a billion years. Because the Bible says, you, do you know the number of years on your head? Are you that patient to count it? The Bible says God knows the number of the years on your head. Talk about responsibility. But if you don't grow to a certain level, there are certain things God will not entrust you with. Because success in the kingdom is not an achievement. It's a trust. It's a trust. It's a trust. 
And there are three cardinal requirements for growth. If you're going to grow, number one, I've not talked about this, so please write it down. There are three cardinal requirements for growth. Number one, you know, is what I call coaching. And coaching is not just, you know, a corporate word or a self-help word. Coaching simply means that you need somebody to hold your hand or someone you are accountable to. That's why I say, at least everybody, you need to listen to this. If you are not accountable, you don't want to grow. In our own church, <laughs> some people don't like it, but this church, one of our core values is accountability. This is a church built on, on accountability because if you are not accountable, you can't grow. You can't. Somebody, in a sense, has to be responsible for you. know, Apostle Paul even said that you should submit to your leaders. He says so that when God asks them about you, they might have an account to give. There are some people, if God asks their head of unit, asks their pastor about them, they have nothing to say. Because they are always like, you know, antelopes. At any sign of getting close, they charge. They escape. There are some people who want to get close to them in the house of God. They don't, some people even say, I don't want anybody to know me. I just come to shush. I do my thing. What's your thing? That's not Christianity. I hear what I'm saying. Christianity is accountability. Look at your neighbor and say neighbor. Christianity requires accountability. If you are not accountable, you can't grow. Because somebody must be able to say, you said you will do this, you have not done it. So the first requirement for growth is coaching. Number two is consistency. Consistency. Successful people do daily what unsuccessful people do occasionally. Consistency. If you're going to grow, there are certain things you must do on a daily and consistent basis. E.g. prayer. E.g. number two, the word. If you are not praying, my pastor said last week Sunday, he said, a prayerless believer, we have all that bit catching up with them. So, if you have stopped doing certain things years ago, and you realize that, ah, ah, all of a sudden, I started insulting people again. I started abusing people again. I started laying hands forcefully. You know, that laying of hands. Or you are attempting to, to, ah, what happened? You now put it back. You are prayerless. You are prayerless. Because one of the things that happens when we are prayerful is that the flesh begins to die. When you become prayerless, the flesh arises. It resurrects. See, your flesh does not die permanently. It doesn't. That's why Apostle Paul said, I die daily. It's a daily death. Because the flesh is not going to die until you die physically. It's not going to die. It's not going to die. So you need consistency. Number one, you need coaching. Number two, you need consistency. Number three, you need community. You need community. That's why in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, the Bible says we should not forsake the gathering together of the believer. See, I know in some places, maybe some people, you know, maybe a church you have been in before, you were odd, some people took advantage of you, but every church is not the same. I hear what I'm saying. So calm down. Calm down. Everybody's not trying to take advantage of you. But that you will not need community, you need it. See, you can't really say you have grown until people test your growth. Huh? That impossible mother-in-law is part of your growth. That difficult boss is part of your growth. That demanding family member is part of your growth. You see, that's why <laughs> there are certain institutions, religious institutions that has been created that is not part of God's plan and agenda, if you read the Bible. E.g. monasteries. 
God did not create anybody to be a monk in a monastery. You can't grow in a monastery. In the monastery, they don't even talk. It's silence. So how will you know if you're an angry person when you don't talk? I need to step on your toe and see how you will react. So you need community. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. You need community. Ask, are you in this community? Because some people are only visiting. Some people visit the community God has given them. They don't stay in the community. They don't stay. And when you don't do that, you don't grow. That's why you notice that when you disconnect from certain relationships God has placed in your life, certain things catch up with you again. Certain things resurface in your life. Because you need community. Nobody grows in isolation. That's why even Jesus himself was never alone. Except during times of prayer. If Jesus needed community, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> like my mom would say when we were growing up. I grew up around Proverbs a lot. That is, means your name is inconsequential. If Jesus needed a community, you need a community. Look at that neighbor of yours again. Or change the neighbor. That person has not been responding well. Say neighbor. You need a community to grow. So the second code we said is entitlement code. Entitlement code. You must have the measure of entitlement as a believer to succeed. Wherever it is God has positioned you, you must be entitled to that territory, to that industry. You must tell yourself, we own this place together. Where is this precious? I like her nickname. Oloweku. I love that name. Think of it was on Wednesday. I told her, I said, you are not Oloweku, you are Oluwaye. Of that name, that's ownership. Some of us say, Ah, that name is too big for me. Hey, <laughs> oh dear Lord Jesus. For those of us who don't understand it, Olowo simply means the person that has money. That's entitlement. I told us last week about the prodigal son. See, in that story, the healed hero is the prodigal son, not the elder brother. You see, if I were the elder brother. You see, the Bible even said that after, the Bible did not tell us that after the father told him that everything belongs to him, that he still did anything. The father told him when he was angry that everything is yours, including the garment I gave your brother, including the ring, including the fatted calf that was slaughtered. If I were the one, I say, Ah, I did not know. I will walk into the party with confidence. I said, Bring my garment because it was yours. But he was sulking. Staying in one corner like many of us. God will do it. What will he do? Many of us don't even know the it. You're just saying it's a religious statement. I know God will do it. One day, one of these days always end up becoming none of these days. One of these days, I know it will happen. You've been saying it for years. Has anything happened? You must have the majesty. The Bible says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace you see that word boldly can also be replaced let us come with entitlement because it's talking about a child how a child walks into the presence of their father even if you want to stop them they will push away your hand what's wrong with you like i'm going to meet my daddy my daddy my daddy <laughs> i push your hand away but many of us when we grow we lose that sense of entitlement see when it comes to your relationship with god you must be entitled Jesus didn't die for you to be sheepish and have a low self-esteem and say, oh, Jesus, if you do it, oh, God, if you do it. He already paid the price. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, I think, of verse 5. He says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He is not going to. He already did. 
So if it is not manifesting in our lives, it's because there are certain things we ought to do that we are not yet doing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Number three is clarity code or the vision code. The clarity code or you can call it clarity of vision code. You have to be clear about where you are going. You have to be clear about what success is to you. Clarity is very important. And when we're talking about clarity, it's clarity in two aspects. Number one, clarity of where you are going. And number two, clarity of who you are. You will never succeed beyond the picture you have of yourself. Never. Never. You will never succeed beyond how you see yourself. Some people, when you compliment them too much, stop it, stop it. What's that? Enjoy the compliment. So your dress is nice. Oh, it's not new. I bought it at a thrift store. We didn't ask you that. That's not the question we ask you. You are suffering from low self-esteem. Just enjoy the compliment. Ah, thank you very much. We don't need that details. It is good, it is good. Whether it is from a thrift store, whether you bought it brand new, we don't care. It looks good. Say thank you. It's as simple as that. Because you are not seeing yourself as being worthy of, of that compliment. You don't see yourself as being worthy of it. And you see, if you see yourself like a grasshopper, you can never eat the grapes. That's why the fruit that they brought from the promised land, where they went to spy, the 12 elders, they brought the fruit, but they said, we are not able. Why? Because we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So were we in their sight. How people see you is a reflection of how you are seeing yourself. People will never treat you beyond the image you have of yourself internally. Never. So when people are treating you somehow, ask yourself, is this the image I'm projecting to the world? Because how you present yourself is how we treat you. That's why there are stores you go to. The way they display the products. Even if you don't have sense, you know there are some products you don't touch anyhow. Have you seen anybody go to a Rolls Royce shop before and say, I want to test drive it before buying it? They will not even answer you. They will just walk away. Because to answer you is to entertain your stupidity and ignorance. They won't answer you. They will just walk away that you are not supposed to be here. <laughs> Remember I was listening to someone a while back. You know, this was like 10 years ago. He said he went to a Ferrari store when he traveled to the, you know, to the U.S. He said, when he got there, nobody even came to him. I said, they don't even attend to him. He said, he now had, it will now measure, I said, how much? He now was in this. Because people who come to a Ferrari store already know the amount. They don't come there to ask for the price. They already know. And there's a way you look to a Ferrari store. <laughs> So seven, seven years later, when he went there, as he was entering, they brought champagne. He said, oh no, I don't take alcoholic drink. Oh, he said, you're welcome. Because something had changed. It's not what you write on the forehead. It's how you carry yourself. And let me tell you, you may not know how you are seeing yourself. But you see, the world is a feedback. How people are treating you is how you are seeing yourself. How people are treating you. How people are treating you. See, you don't need to... <laughs> see, this thing is so powerful that... If you don't work on it and you are working on the outside, your outside must match your inside. That's the way it works. So you've got to be clear. Clear about yourself. What do you see about yourself? That's why God asked Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 11. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's verse 11. Let's, let's, let's go there. I want to be sure it's 11. But it's Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 11. Okay, 
alright, I'm correct. It says, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? That is what are you seeing? He said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Keep going, please. Then said the Lord unto me, you have seen well, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Go to verse 13. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. He kept seeing. He kept having a vision for his life. He kept seeing something. And God said, you have seen well. You have seen well. You have seen well. See, if you study the Gospels, you will realize that Jesus healed more blind eyes than he healed lame feet. He healed more blind eyes because of vision. Because a man that cannot see is already dead while he's alive. The excellent killer, a lady that was blind. He said, what is the worst thing than being blind? He said, I've been sight without vision. Some people can see, they, they have korokoro eyes like this, but he's not seeing anything. Some people are not seeing beyond tomorrow. They are not seeing beyond this week. Some people, their vision is determined by president-elect. That's their vision. Now, ah! Maybe Nigeria would have been better if we are all obedient now. Like, I think it was on Wednesday I said, no government can change your life. Or the life of everybody in the country. No government. No government has that capacity. If they have the capacity, they have become God. No government has that capacity. At this last electoral process, I was shocked the way people were so emotional. Some people lost their home training because some people were trained, but they lost it. Because somebody decides to vote for somebody you are not in support of. Ah, what a shame. If some people's parents saw what they posted online in the last two weeks, they will feel like failure as parents. Because many people lost their home training. Or it was revealed that many people never had home training. Look at your neighbor in case they don't know and they are hearing it for the first time. No government can change the life of every citizen. Why do you think there are poor people in America? Or you don't think there are poor people there? Is it not supposed to be a first world nation? Please get that right. So you need to be clear also about what success is to you. Because what success is to a preacher is not what success is to an astronaut. I hear what I'm saying. What success is to a medical doctor is not what success is to a politician. And see, when you understand this, it stops the comparison game. You stop comparing yourself with people. That's why the Bible says those comparing themselves with themselves, it says they are foolish. See your Bible. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. Clarity of what success is to you will remove every form of comparison. And clarity of vision gives you confidence makes you know where you're going people don't receive visions for their life and never receive the clarity for where they're going or who they are because of desperation for survival that's why one of the things jesus said in matthew chapter 6 he says that don't worry about what to eat what to drink what to put so these are the things the gentiles are seeking after if i don't think about it what will not happen i said seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness what that simply means is seek god's way of doing things you just came to flip the pyramid on his head that is don't put your attention on survival put it
God and his righteousness and every other thing will be added to you. Why is it that people don't receive vision? Number two, because no one more dealt the necessity of vision to them. No one more dealt the necessity of vision to them. In fact, some people, when you tell them about vision, like some people may be thinking this morning, now vision will go job. What is vision, vision? What's vision? That's the money, money. That's what you don't understand. You don't understand that provision is two words. It is pro for the vision. You only get supplies in direct proportion to the vision you have. Anything that comes into your hand outside the bracket of vision leads to excess. That's what destroys people. When you have money, you don't have anything to do with it. Funny ideas will come to you. You will walk to places you should not go. We will find you in Quilox. That's what we we'll see. We we'll come and drag you out of, oh, you don't know the place. God bless you. You don't know it. God bless your ignorance. <laughs> That's what we'll be finding you. Because new ideas will become demonic ideas. All of a sudden, if you're a married man, your wife is no longer beautiful. It's small, small girls that will now be attractive to you. Your wife will suddenly become old. Because now, because it takes money to finance Agbiri. That simply means extramarital affair. You know, even that word. Sorry, I'm a Yoruba boy, so I understand some things better in Yoruba. You know, when you hear Agbiri, what? Break it down. No, for many years I didn't understand it. Agbiri. What is Eri? Profit. Agbiri. So when you are engaged in extramarital affair, all your profit will be collected. You have nothing to show for your life. The second word they use for it is shino. That is misspent. You will just be misspent. You will be misspent. May you not shino. <laughs> when you look at someone like Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs has no choice but to become who he became. Or who he has become. You know why? He's from a very wealthy home. Go and study his life. And so Bill Gates invented, you know, um, um, the Microsoft chip and all those things, Windows software. You know, he started from his parents' garage. The question you should ask yourself is, where is the garage? The garage was in Silicon Valley. It's not emotion. <laughs> so the things he was exposed to, he determined what he was seeing. That's why you must pay attention to your community, your community, your community. In the last couple of weeks at the Life Masterclass, our first service, we've been talking about the power of networking. We've spoken about the fact that there are two types of network, conscious and unconscious networks. You must consciously build your own community. Many of us, the only relationships in our lives are the ones that chose us. Instead of you to create the ones that you choose. And many of the relationships that will change your life are the ones that you will choose, not the ones that chose you. Many don't receive visions for their life also because of extreme busyness. Extreme busyness. It's good to be busy about your tax, but when you become extremely busy, it blinds your vision. It blinds your vision. This Spirit showed me something that I never thought about recently. He said Joseph became prime minister because of the vision he saw. He said, when did he see the vision? I said, at the age of 13. He said, Fantastic. Where did he see that vision? In his father's house. When he got to Egypt, did he see a vision again? No. Why? Because Egypt was a metropolitan city of his day. It's a place that was busy. If you are not careful, living in Lagos may prevent you from seeing anything for your destiny. Come and check it. 
That's why successful people schedule vacation and retreats into their life. And it comes highly recommended. If you always live your life without any pause, you don't have times that you separate yourself from work and you just have that moment of silence every day. You're always working like a work clock. You keep working and working. You will have no vision. You will just be living from survival to survival. Paying bills from bills to bills. Moses grew up also in Egypt. While he was in Egypt, God showed him nothing until he was in the wilderness. That's why, go and check. Many of the successful people, they always move to quiet areas. Why do you think quiet areas are more expensive than noisy areas? Because it does something to your vision and your mind. That's why forever, Ikoyi will be more expensive than Mushi. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I think it was Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, I can't remember. I'm having a lot of echo. He bought the houses of all the neighbors around him. Turn to this side, turn to that side. He's not living there. He just wants the place empty for silence. For silence. If there's too much noise and extreme busyness in your life, you will not catch any vision. You will not see anything. You know what you'll be seeing? It's the picture people are painting to you that you'll be seeing. It's what they tell you about yourself that you'll be seeing. The other reason people don't get visions for their life, have no clarity, is because of discouragement from non-visionaries or what I call failed visionaries. So some people had a vision in the past, but in the pursuit of their dreams, they failed. So when they see you trying to pursue your vision, they say, oh, <laughs> well, we've tried out this thing that you are doing in 1999, as I started one business. In 2002, he failed. Thank God for your life. I had something from a man years ago and he blessed me. I think like two, three years ago. He said, I don't listen to people who have failed at their dreams. You have nothing to teach me. Because, you know, see, normal human nature is very difficult for you not to hurt where someone is succeeding at what you have failed at. So naturally, the natural human nature is to pull them down. It's to discourage. Even if you don't want to discourage them. See, I have a mantra. I never, she say, until I notice someone has gotten to a level of victory over something I struggled with. I don't tell them I struggle because it can discourage them. Not that that's the intention, no. But if I tell you, it might be like, especially if it's someone you respect, it might be like, ah, oh, if pastor can struggle with it, where am I? That's why there are some things I will never share publicly, not because I don't want to be vulnerable, but because there is a way it can affect your desire to pursue more. So when I've overcome it, I will share it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? People also don't get a vision for their life and clarity for the future because they settle for average and comfort. They settle too soon. They settle for average and they settle for comfort. I've told us a couple of times, the enemy of success is not failure. It is what? It is comfort. It is comfort. It's easy to be hungry for success when you are a failure or when you have not succeeded at all but when you begin to have a measure of success and you are comfortable the clothes you could not wear before now you can wear it you can go to certain shops before that you always look at at a distance now you have become comfortable if you are not careful success will kill your hunger to kill it to kill it before what drove you to succeed and work hard was because you wanted to buy a car now you have a car. In fact, you have two now. So there's nowhere to go again. There's nowhere to go. 
because you are the most successful now in your village. But you are no longer in the village. You know, people compare themselves with their past, where they are coming from, and it makes them puff up. That's why when I see people will become proud at little coins in their hand, the first thing I always want to do is, where are they coming from? I want to find out their family story. Most times they are from poor backgrounds. Because if nobody has ever gathered 100,000 naira before in your lineage, and you have 1.5 million, you can run mad. You can run mad. You begin to misbehave. Because now, eh? <laughs> you first do Thanksgiving in church. Praise party, your dance will be different. <laughs> I'm not saying you should not dance so for... <laughs> But that your dance is not the dance of progress. It's the dance of Ideja. <laughs> I've broken through. <laughs> there are still many breakthroughs to experience. So, so calm down. Look at your neighbor and say, calm down. <laughs> there is still a long way to go. The next code is discipline code. The discipline code. If you don't crack the discipline code, you will keep going around the same circle. Or your success will be short-termed. Your success will be short-termed. That's why there are so many ex-successful people. So many ex-rich people. Why? Because when you begin to enjoy and experience a measure of success, you become comfortable and you stop being disciplined. You know, it's easier to be disciplined when you don't have much. One of the things that success might try to remove from your life or will try to remove from your life is the desire for discipline. All of a sudden, you can't wake up early to pray anymore. Because there is AC overnight. So your room is not like cold room. You have almost become a fish. It's just, in fact, you are praying on your bed. Say, thank God, Father. Father, you're good. <laughs> your grammar has changed. Even God is wondering, who is he talking to? Because he's God, he's not God. Because, hey, I don't understand. You're asking Angel Michael, what's he saying? Angel Michael said, even me, I don't understand you. <laughs> Well, grandma said, thank God, Father. You are speaking phonetics to God. And you grew up in Ajibunle. <laughs> so in Jamaica, is wondering, what did he get the phonetics from? So, I don't know. Don't lose your discipline. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't lose your discipline. Without discipline, it is impossible to succeed sustainably. Sustainably. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. This was one of the secrets of Paul the Apostle. That's why he did more than every disciple. Even the disciples that spend time with Jesus physically. Paul never saw Jesus in person. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16. Then after verse 16 we go to verse 27. First Corinthians chapter 9 verse 16. He says, for if I preach the gospel, for though I preach the gospel, you've changed the translation. Please stay with one translation. But I keep under my body and bring it, no, 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 go to verse 16 first. I'm still coming to 27. All right, thank you. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory for, glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Go to verse 27. Verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection. Lest that at any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. First thing he said in verse 16, he said, necessity is laid upon me. Who laid the necessity upon him? He laid it on himself. Because in verse 27, he says, I bring my body under subjection. God is not going to discipline you for you. Permit my construction, but I want you to get it. I can construct this in a better way. I understand English. 
But guess what I'm saying? God will not subject your body for you. You must be the one to bring your body under subjection. You must be the one to lay certain necessities on yourself. And there are certain things you must consider as necessities in your life. Certain disciplines, like prayer. You must be the one to lay that necessity on yourself. That every day I am going to pray, come watch me. Bible before breakfast. Are you hear what I'm saying? Those are necessities you lay on yourself. Reading. Those are necessities you lay on yourself. You see, the thing is, when you graduate school and you leave your parents' house, it's very difficult to be disciplined if you are not careful. That's when most people destroy their lives. Because now there is nobody to check on you again. Nobody to tell you, have you slept? Have you woken up? Have you eaten? Maybe they can be asking you as a lady when you just get a boyfriend. Have you eaten? They can be asking you all those nonsense questions. Maybe you're not hungry. So, so if you are not careful, you can get to a point in your life because there is nobody putting a necessity on your life. You no longer put it on your life. Necessities like saving. Ah, you know, Pastor always talks about saving. You don't need to like it. Say, no, no, God, I have tightened. You will supply my need according to your riches and glory. Yeah, jail. I'm telling you. Many believers don't understand that balance. I've told us several times. This is the third month of the year. Some of us are still not doing it. It's a new year. Saving is as spiritual as tithing. You can't do one without the other. Jesus said that. He said you can't leave one for the other. You do the two. Many people always look for shortcuts in life. Hey, let me do one. No, no, no. You do the two. For instance, you can't say, ah, me, I'm a word person. I think I said that at the Breakthrough Festival. Some people have the mindset saying, you know, we, we are word people. Some people say, we, we are prayer people. There is nothing like that. If you are a believer, you are a prayer and a word person. Some people is word, word, word. No spiritual power. One little wind like this. If devil just blows them, <laughs> oh, I'm being too robust this morning. Be serious. <laughs> Small wind. The devil just blows them away. But with the award, the word personified himself. Prayed several times. Jesus, that was the word we saw him praying. Other people said we are the word people. They know Greek. They know Hebrew, German. I bishop Oedipo said he said he does not understand one Greek word and he's not planning to learn any. If that man does not know Greek word. And he has achieved that much. We watch your Greek and German. What have you achieved? Some people, they use Hebrew to even confuse themselves. What is plainly stated in scripture in English? We say, you know, the, the original. See, they themselves, I've had some preachers before that. As I'm hearing them, I know they themselves, they are confusing what they are saying. They are not looking for ways to get themselves out. Because you are looking for what is not lost. For God so loved the world that he gave you. It's as simple as that. And I say, the, the, the Hebrew word for the, for the love, you know, there are four types of love. God loved the world. It's as simple. The discipline code. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to be disciplined. Discipline to save. Discipline to pray. Discipline to study. Discipline to give. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 16 to 17. Let's see it. If Solomon <laughs> wrote this, it's better you pay attention to it. Because I hope you know Solomon didn't end his life well. The lover of God became a lover of many women. Like I told us, when you stop doing what you were doing, old habits will catch up with you. You know where the habits came from? He saw it from his father. Dad already had wives, but Bathsheba was still entering his eyes. You know, when money begins to enter your eyes, I'll be enter your hands, certain things will enter your eyes. There are things you don't notice when you are broke. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 16. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 16 to 17. Ecclesiastes 10, 16 to 17. Let's read it together. 
want to go. Woe to thee, O land, when your king is a child and your princes eat when? In the morning. Verse 17. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your princes eat in due season for strength and not for what? Drunk. It means they know when to eat. They know when to drink. The first thing they do in the morning is no food. Now, he's not talking about food and drink here. He's talking about discipline. Discipline. He says, woe unto you, O land. Your leader is a child that does not know what to do, when to do it. No structure. Wakes up in the morning, watching Telemundo. People still watch it. We are watching it. God bless you. It's okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But they are see. Discipline says there is something you do first and there is something you do next. Am I making sense? Discipline requires structure. Maybe I should give us some explanations or definitions of discipline. What is discipline? Please write it down. I won't finish it today. I'll continue at the midweek retreat. Number one, discipline means following through even when you don't want to. That's discipline. How many of us every day when you wake up, you feel like praying for five hours? How many people? Even my hands are not up. I just feel like if I, you, <laughs> you charge out of bed, say, Father, today, I'm like, ah, many days is discipline. If I, sometimes you wake up, you are praying in a sleepy way. You now tell yourself, if I continue like this, I will sleep off. So you stand up. So discipline is following through. Even when you don't want to. There are many things you need to do that you will never feel like doing. Because those who live according to their feelings end up feeling. If you always do things only because you feel like, you know the things you always feel like doing, the things that are self-destructive. Those are the things you feel like doing. You feel like sleeping more, snoozing the alarm. How many body, how many of us you feel like waking up Monday morning going to work? Every Monday. You don't feel like. In fact, some people assume that as a pastor, every Sunday I feel like preaching. Many times I don't feel like. That's just the truth. But it is discipline that because it is my responsibility, it is my work. Because what makes something work is that you do it consistently and for an extended period of time. I drive, but I'm not a driver. Why? Because I don't drive for long. But if you are, for instance, an Uber driver, if you do Uber, you do both. What makes you a Uber driver is that you do it for long. If I drive from my house to work, it does not make me a driver. I'm just a commuter. Am I making sense? So that's how you know if you're disciplined. Number two, what is discipline? It is sticking to your decision after the emotion with which you made the decision has worn off. Discipline is sticking to your decision after the emotion with which you made the decision has worn off. So for instance, maybe in, in a church setting, you know, we're asked to make a commitment, you know, when the music is playing, the usher, everything this atmosphere seems perfect. It's easier to make decisions. So, ah, what pastor said today from tomorrow. In fact, before recalibrate, I will wake up earlier. I will set my alarm to 5.30. 30 minutes before the normal congregational prayer, me, I will start praying my own prayer. You have made the decision. It is when you wake up and the alarm snooze, the alarm goes off. See, even God says he gives his beloved sleep. You snooze the alarm. <laughs> Because the emotion is no longer there. That's why a lot of people are not disciplined. You can't keep depending on emotions. You must depend on decisions. You can't depend on your emotions. 
If you are going to be a disciplined person, you must depend more on your decisions. If you have said it, then you follow through. You do it even when you don't feel like. Number three, what is discipline? It is holding yourself accountable even when no one is watching. It is holding yourself accountable even when no one is watching. It is easy to be disciplined when somebody is watching. That's one of the benefits of accountability. Because you know someone will ask you. But discipline is even when I don't have anyone that I know will ask me. I'm still doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm still doing what I'm supposed to do. For instance, it's possible as a pastor for me to come to church. Do you think it's every pastor that reads their Bible? No. It's possible for me not to read my Bible, for me not to pray. In fact, it's possible for me to come to church and not pray before coming. It's possible. Many pastors do that. It is discipline that will make me say that, ah, nobody may be watching me. Nobody may be able to walk up to me and say, Pastor, have you prayed this morning? But I should have an understanding that a human being may not be watching me, but God is watching me. He's watching me. Number next. Discipline is keeping your promise to yourself. It is what? It is keeping the promise you made to yourself. The promise you made to yourself through commitment, through planning, through decision making. You see, when you make a plan, that's a promise to yourself. When you say, I'm going to do something, that's a promise to yourself. You see, the reason why a lot of people lack self-confidence is because each time they make a promise to themselves, they don't fulfill that promise. And one thing you don't understand is when you do that consistently, over time it will damage your self-esteem. It will. Because it will get to a point you will not even trust your own words. Have a, I, I have a habit. If I say I'm going to do something, even if it hurts, I always do it. Why? I'm training myself to believe in my own words. Many of us, the reason why we don't even trust God is because we believe God is like you. Somewhere in your mind. Because when you promise something, when people come in there, ah, I was joking. So even the promise you made to yourself is like a joke. So you think God too is a joker, like you. So discipline is keeping the promise you made to yourself. Next, discipline is doing what you must do, even when there is no immediate reward. Discipline is doing what you must do, even when there is no immediate reward. See, the rewards of discipline does not show up immediately. It doesn't. When you decide to fast, when you decide to plan your finances, when you decide to be saving, the reward does not show immediately. It doesn't. First day and I were having a conversation yesterday, and I think I should have that, I should share that with us. In 2020, 2019 through 2020, when the COVID thing happened, you know, crisis and everybody was locked up in the house, people, you know, it's something that many of us had never seen before in our lifetime. And I remember then, I preached in church, after we started, we resumed physical service, and I said, many of us experienced financial stress during this period. I said, it will be a shame if something like this happens again, years to come, and you find yourself in the same financial state. And let me tell you this, the way world government works. COVID-19 in 2020, the global lockdown was a trial. If something worked once, they will try it again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
It may be five years time. It will go and write it down. You will remember the words of this young preacher. You will remember it. You will be at a serious disadvantage. And you will be very, I don't know which nice word to use. If that happens years to come and you are in the same financial stress. That year, of course, we were able to navigate and everything. But we were not able to do certain things. And I told myself, I said, I will never be in this state again to the rest, for the rest of my life. Never. One of the things that happened is we had money in the bank, but we could not access it. So I told myself, I will always have funds I can access, no matter what, even if the whole world is crashing down. I may not be able to, I may not need the money, but there must be a money somewhere that I can have access to. I told myself it will never happen again. Never. Some of us, you've never made those decisions. Things happen, you are too quick to forget. You just move on with your life as if nothing happened. And let me tell you this, when things repeat itself, it always comes in a worse state. Always. 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 So discipline is doing what you must do when there is no immediate reward. So you, some of us, you need to start preparing for things. Now. See, when you start saving, for instance, do you get the reward immediately? No. In fact, you look stupid. Because your friends are buying shawarma, buying pizza, buying ice cream, buying new bag, buying new shoe. They are experiencing immediate reward. Your own is not showing immediately. So if you are not careful, you will think this thing does not really matter. But that is discipline. It is you doing something even when there is no immediate reward for it. When there is no immediate reward. My time is up, so I'll round up here today. We'll continue at the midweek chat. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you this morning. Oh, we thank you for the seed of your word that's been sown in our hearts. This morning, I want someone to begin to ask for the grace for discipline.